Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in this evening. We're about to go ahead and get started. Uh, I'm excited about this study. I'm excited about it because it's so pertinent, especially for someone like myself who deals with a lot of people. And I'm married and I have a little girl. And so relationships are so important to fully understand. And believe it or not, the Bible is very helpful in this space. And tonight, hopefully, I'm able to share with you some principles. And it's actually one of the chapters of one of the books that I'm writing. Uh, but it's it's one of these powerful principles that if applied, literally, literally, will turn an unhappy home into a happy home. It will literally save marriages if applied. And so I know what I'm saying to you tonight will be a great help if you pay attention and if you apply and if you pray for me, that I would apply it on a daily basis, asking God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So in light of that, let's bow our heads for prayer. Let's ask God for the gift of his Holy Spirit, that as we are studying this evening, our minds can be connected with his mind, our thoughts with his thoughts. Bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you, Father, for this beautiful day. And Lord, not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what your dear son does. And Lord, as we're about to study our Bibles, as we're about to open inspiration, we ask, Lord, that our accounts be covered by the blood of Jesus. And we ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. Not because we are good, for we are not, but because you are good. And we pray this in Jesus' name and claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. So tonight we're dealing with the subject matter, no love, no self. And when I say no, I'm talking about knowledge, right? Awareness. We're talking about awareness. So our awareness of love, our experience with love will help us understand who we are. Because without that knowledge, without that experience, we would have no clue of how or what it is that we're supposed to bring to a relationship. We don't even know what, what love actually would constitute. So in light of that, I want to begin with a verse that most of you know, but just in case, I want to make sure we frame our conversation and our study in light of this. In the book of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, and I want you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, and we're talking about this, this idea of knowing love and then knowing self, because if you don't know love, you really won't know who you are. So in 1 John 4 and verse 8, the Bible says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. That's what it says very clearly. God is love. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So clearly we have defined biblically that God is this love that we are to know. Let's go a little bit further with this. Let's go a little bit further with this. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians. Now, 1 Corinthians is actually a chapter that we're supposed to read every day. We're supposed to review every day to keep it fresh in our minds as to what love is. 1 Corinthians 13, and the word for love in the King James in this section is, is the word charity. So I'm going to read it from the King James. It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels 
and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity or love, I am nothing. Then it says this, love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, love never fails. Now for a moment, my friends, I just want you to think with me for a few moments in regards to what we just read. We read it quickly. I know you've heard this many times. What I'm sharing with you is not new information, but brothers and sisters, when I think about the reality of what love is, and I think about the reality of what I am, <laughs> I, 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 I have to say, brothers and sisters, naturally, I have no love. It is not inside of me. Because read it again. Because it doesn't say love is only a one of these things. Love encompasses all of this. And let me read to you again what it says. If you have, if you don't have love, you're like a sounding brass at a tinkling cymbal. You can understand prophecy. That means I can teach the Bible, explain the scriptures, tell you what's about to happen at the end of time. But if I don't have love, it's of no avail. The other part that I found was interesting. It says here, though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains. Can you imagine now? Literally, if I were here and I said, mountain, be removed and cast into the midst of the sea. Literally, you would be like, man, that brother is powerful. But if you have that and don't have love. The writer says you have nothing. But wait, there's more. He goes on to say, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Wait a second. You mean I can go into the community, do what appears to be altruistic, benevolent work, and in that work still not have love? Yes, it's possible. It's worth nothing without love. Then watch this, my friends. And though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Wait, 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 wait. You mean to tell me? That persons can persevere in their being, in their hearts, and say, I'm going to die for a particular, particular cause. And even in that decision to die for a particular cause, they still find themselves without love. And the Bible says, if one did that, it would profit nothing. And everything that I read to you seems honorable, does it not? Doesn't, isn't having faith honorable? Isn't feeding the poor honorable? Isn't giving your body for the sake of a cause honorable? Yes, all of it seems honorable. But without love, every one of those actions are superfluous. Every one of those actions have no weight in the eyes of God. For love is beyond that. So what is love? Watch. Love suffers long. And is kind. Let me say it a different way. Love is long suffering 
And even while one suffers, they're still kind. That's not me, brothers and sisters. I have not yet learned to suffer as long as I need to suffer and still maintain a peace of mind and a kind heart under said suffering. For if one does not do that, then it is not love. Because that's what it says. Love suffers long and still is kind. Now I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about relationships and knowing oneself. Watch this. And it's kind. Love envieth not. It doesn't vaunt itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. It doesn't seek its own. Now, my friends, right there, I, I want to pause for a moment. You know, even in husband and wife relations, there's often times where one of the parties is seeking its own. That happens from time to time, where, where one is so consumed in their own career, their own ideas, their own concepts, that they forget about the party that is sacrificing to be come alongside them. That happens in relationships. And when one does that, that's not love. That's actually hurtful. And what happens in these type of relationships, one is giving and one is not. And when that one's not giving, this one's being hurt. And it comes a point, if that person doesn't stay close to Jesus, they'll stop sacrificing. They'll stop giving. They'll say enough is enough, and then they'll pull back. And so now what do we end up having? We end up having a friction. We end up having a divorce. That's why in conversations, somebody always ends up talking over someone else. Someone ends up saying things in a way that's not supposed to be said. Why? What's happening? Because love is not evident in that interaction. Self is seeking to present itself. But you say, Brother Andre, no, I love my spouse. I love my boyfriend, my girlfriend. I say to you, my friends, the love that we know in its very human mundane sense is not the love that heaven seeks to have with you and I. There's a love altogether lovely, so much more precious, so much more powerful. And tonight, my friends, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you the type of love that we should have in our experience. And when we know that love, then we'll know ourselves. Because right now we don't know that love, and therefore our standard of love is actually very low. Our standard of love is actually very, very, very minuscule in relation to what God has divinely said, what is to be love. So let's go a little bit further with this. I want to read, I'm going to read something to you. And this comes from a book called Ministry of Healing. And I'm going to share my screen. Let's let me figure out how to do that for a second. I want to read this to you. I want you to see it. I want to share my screen here, and I want to share my second screen. Wrong screen to share. Share my screen. Boom, boom. Let me share with you this. All right. Now, oh, let me pass that. This is from a book called Ministry of Healing, and it's on page 363 in paragraph one. Now, if you miss this, you're going to miss everything. So I don't want you to miss this because this actually is one of, this is the key. I'm going to say one of the keys. This is the key that will help us understand how to deal with each other. So it says the gospel is a wonderful simplifier of life's problems. Let me read it again. The gospel is a wonderful simplifier of life's problems. Its instruction heeded 
would make plain many a perplexity and save us from many an error. Mm, interesting. It teaches us to estimate things at their true value and to give the most effort to the things of greatest worth, the things that will endure. Back to the first sentence. The gospel is a wonderful simplifier of life's problems. Now let's let's explore the gospel for a moment because believe it or not, the gospel actually is the key to having an experience with love that will help us know ourselves, which then will help us love someone else. So let's look at the gospel. So there's a command. And in that command, in the gospel, John, John, uh, John the Baptist preaches, repent, repent, and believe the gospel. That's the, that's the command that comes forth. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and be baptized. Now, let me tell you something about the gospel. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, Are or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing, not knowing what? That the goodness of God leadeth thee to, what's it say, my friends? Repentance. Interesting. Stay with me now. So we're told John the Baptist comes out, repent, believe the gospel. Jesus comes and says, repent. The time is at hand and believe the gospel. The command is to repent. But how does one repent? Again, read Romans chapter two, verse four. Or despises now the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Interesting. So even the command to repent, that command to repent, you cannot repent in and of yourself. You cannot turn from evil or darkness by yourself. The goodness of God must be manifested in order for you to recognize your need for repentance. Let me go a little further. There's a passage in the book of Exodus, and I want to go there. Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33. I hope you guys came ready to study. Exodus 33, and we're looking at this, I, uh, this idea of knowing God and then knowing yourself. Exodus 33, and we're looking at verse number 18. Exodus 33 and verse number 18. The Bible says, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. So this is Moses. Asking to see the glory of God. What does he say? And he said, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy of whom, on whom I will show mercy. And he said, God speaking, thou canst not see my face. For there shall no man see me and, what's it say, and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will make 
and I will take away thy mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. So let's let's set the stage. Stay with me. So in this passage of scripture, what are we reading? Moses desires to see God's face. He desires to see the very the very person of God. God tells him, well, you can't see my face, but I'm going to put you behind the rock. So when I pass by, you can see my backside. You can see my backside. Now, why does God say that? And you'll, you'll see in a moment. But God is so glorious and so beautiful and he's so awesome and he's so great that if he were to show himself in his pure holiness, uncloaked, we would disappear immediately. That's how pure how righteous, how awesome, how good God is. God is so good. His character is so bright that it shines forth as light, my friends. So much light that if sin is harbored in my person, then we would cease to exist. Therefore, the Lord in his grace and mercy hides him behind a rock. What perfect imagery as I'm thinking about it. Well, who's the rock normally in the Bible? The rock is Christ Jesus, right? So he's hid behind the veil of Jesus as he's beholding the backside of God. But watch, let's go a little bit further with this. We're still in the book of Exodus chapter 34 now. Exodus chapter 34, God gives Moses these commandments, and he says in verse number five, Exodus 34 and verse five. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and that by no and that will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children to the third and fourth generations now look look carefully look carefully in Exodus 34 verse 6 it highlights this idea god is passing by god is proclaiming and god when he when he passes by proclaims his mercy his grace, his long suffering. Remember, all these are attributes of love. His, he's abundant in goodness and truth. He is merciful to a thousand. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. All this is a reflection of the person and character of God. And Moses is there hiding behind the rock, a symbol of the person of Christ, veiled so that he can see God. In his glory. But let's take it a little bit further. I'm gonna pass that for now. Let me go back. Let me go back before I go. Let me before I go here. Let me go back. Here is this idea that we need to obey the gospel. Now, if we don't obey the gospel, what's gonna happen? And again, I, I'm I'm going to unlock in a moment the gospel via a story. Okay. So there's going to be a biblical story that's going to unlock the gospel. It's going to show you the relationship between God and his church. And as you see the relationship between God and his church, you're going to see what is necessary in order for you to know God, why it's so important, so important to know God so that you can know yourself, so that you can love somebody else. Because you cannot love someone else if you don't know what love is all about. 
So 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8, if you do not obey the gospel, there is a problem. There's something that transpires. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So God takes vengeance on those who don't know God and who do not obey the gospel. First Peter 4 verse 17. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God. Do you see that there is a danger that if we don't obey the gospel, there's going to be consequence? The consequence, there, there, there's a, if we who know the gospel reject the gospel, and then those who don't know the gospel at all, what help do they have? So we must know the gospel. Now, I'm going to tell you a story. You would know this story very well, and because you guys are going to be great Bible students, you're going to see that this story is not only about relationships, but is also about end time prophecy. It's 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 so it's such a powerful story. And I have a sermon that I preach on it, but it's not. We're going to study it right now. OK, watch this. The question is, why do you cry? Right. We're going to look at several passages. We call it the synoptic gospels. Right. So each gospel kind of tells the same story in a different way. And so we're going to look at the gospel in the person of one of these stories, and we're going to look at all these characters. Now, pay attention, brothers and sisters, because this is going to get deep, especially if you have not studied this before. If you studied this with me before, it's still deep. Every time I study it, it's deep. But I want you not only to have it as being deep, but I want you to have it so that you can hold on to the principle of the gospel. Okay, here it goes. So in Matthew chapter 26, go open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26 Matthew chapter 26 and we're looking at verse number 6 I will read in your hearing Matthew 26 we're going to begin reading at verse number 6 and my friends as we are studying I want you to be spiritually aware of what is transpiring for it will save your marriage it will save your life Pay attention. Matthew 26, verses 6 to 13. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial. 
So now what we're going to do, we're just going to observe the text, okay? We're going to observe the text. We're going to take some very simple, practical things that are in the text, and we're just going to pay attention, okay? So let's look. First of all, where is Jesus? Jesus is in a town called Bethany at Simon the leper's home, okay? So he's in a town called Bethany, and he's at Simon the leper's home. Now, as they're eating, as they're dining, a woman comes in with an alabaster box, and the Bible says that it was full of precious ointment. And this woman pours the ointment on Jesus' head while the people are eating. Now, my friends, uh, if you're taking your mind to a sanctified imagination, just stay here with me. Uh, while, you know, the taste and the smell kind of go together, right? So can you imagine this? ointment as people are eating perfume is in the air this is an interruption <laughs> like this would be a, a, a at least ostensibly on the surface this would be a rude behavior why are you pouring or did he ask you to pour oil on his head but this is what's happening in this passage the disciples have indignation the bible says it was the disciples had indignation and they are talking to each other and said to what purpose is this waste and it's interesting, as this is going on, as the disciples are whispering among themselves, the people are talking amongst themselves, Jesus actually protects the woman. He stands up for the woman, and he talks about this woman and says that she, she is preparing him for his burial. I have the word baptism there, but burial. She is preparing him for his burial. That's strange. Jesus says this woman's story will be told as a memorial, as part of the gospel until the end of the world. So this story is not something to be, you know, you know, casually passed over. This is a deep story. Why would Jesus say that what this woman did would be told all the way down to the end of time? All right. Keep those questions in mind. Keep these observations in mind as we read Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 11. Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 11. And it's interesting. It's funny. Like, as we're doing this, we're studying a topic. But as we're studying the topic, I'm actually showing you how to compare Scripture with Scripture as well, right? So Mark chapter 14, look at verse number 3. The Bible says, And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she break the box and poured it on his head. And there was some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She have wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me, ye have not always. She have done what she could, she has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. 
Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went out unto the chief priest to betray unto him, unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he saw how he might conveniently betray him. All right. We're just reading the Bible. We're going to make some observations. So where is Jesus? Well, he's in Bethany. All right. He's in Bethany. He's at Simon the leper's house. The woman now, there's a little bit of a, additional information given. The woman has brought an alabaster box full of spike nard. Okay? Now it's a particular type. She breaks the box and pours it on Jesus' head. And some have indignation within themselves. And they say, what is this waste? And now there's a, a, a dollar figure given to this. The dollar figure is 300 pence. Now, if you know anything about 300 pence, or a denarii, that's a day's wages based on one of the, the parables Jesus told. That's a day's wages in that time frame. So 300 pence is, is a year's worth of wages on some perfume, my friends. Can you imagine that? Well, what provoked this woman to take a year's worth of wages? Come on now. What, what, what motivated this woman to take a year's worth of wages by perfume to put on Jesus. Come on. I want you thinking with me. Jesus protects the woman, just like he did in the previous chapter. Talks about this as an anointing, preparing him for his burial. Again, I put baptism. I, I, I preparing him for his burial. Jesus says this woman's story will be told as a memorial. Judas goes and then begins the process of betrayal. Now he's going to betray the Lord Jesus. What is going on? What is going on? Now let's look at this for a moment. How costly was this litra or spikenard Mary used to anoint Jesus' feet? One denarius was the wage for one day's labor. So if Judas' estimate of the value of Mary's spikenard is correct, 300 denarii, would have been someone's annual salary equivalent to several tens of thousands of dollars today. The litra of spikenard Mary used was indeed very costly. Everybody follow that? You following? We're studying right now. Hopefully you don't mind studying the Bible. We're studying right now. Very costly. Notice this. Luke chapter 7. Go back to Luke. Go with me to Luke chapter 7. Again, we're talking about no God, no self. And we're just building a case right now. We're taking our time. We're building a case. Luke chapter 7. And I want you to begin reading with me at verse 36. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. Notice what the Bible says. It says, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head 
and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, which had been in him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have, no, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. What is she? She's a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have someone to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Pay attention, brothers and sisters. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most, and he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Now wait, wait, before we go any further, <laughs> listen to me. That last phrase right there, before I go back and even track that, can you, can you see how that fits in a relationship? What do you mean? So if I don't realize how much I have been forgiven, how much love has been bestowed upon me, how much sacrifice has been given towards me from God himself, if I don't realize that, then I will not be able to love God back and I won't be able to love those who I encounter on a daily basis because somewhere along the way, I have forgotten how much I have sinned against the Most High and how much he has forgiven me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let's track it back. Let's track it back. In fact, let me stop sharing this for a second. Let's track it back. Watch this. You see, you see this text? Luke chapter 7. Watch carefully. Jesus again speaking to the woman. He's, I mean, Jesus speaking to Simon. Verse 43. Simon answered and said, I suppose he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath Wash my feet with tears and wipe them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, have not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil, thou didst not. What, what has possessed this woman? Listen to me. What has possessed this woman? This is a party. She's coming into a party. She's anointing Jesus' head with oil. She's wiping his feet with, with her tears. She's kissing 
a man's feet is not her husband. And she's known around town as a sinner. I hope you're following. Watch this. Let me, let me go back and share my screen. Watch this. So watch this. So let's 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 observe before I make my 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 points here. So whose house is he at? Well, in the previous chapters, we said, we said it was Simon the leper's house. Now we see it's the Pharisee's house. But who's the Pharisee? Well, it's Simon. We know now that Simon the leper was a Pharisee. Are you following? We know now that Simon the leper was a Pharisee, and Jesus had healed Simon from his leprosy. Mm, stay with me. The woman who comes in with the alabaster box is no ordinary woman. This woman is a sinner. She's known as a sinner. She's known about town by the men of that town. She's a sinner. Now in this passage, not only is she pouring the ointment on Jesus' head, she's kissing his feet and wiping his feet with her own tears. There must have been a lot of tears that she was crying. What has brought her to this state, brothers and sisters? It's interesting also the Pharisee speaks within himself. In the previous passages, the, the, the disciples have indignation and they're whispering among themselves. And some are having indignation within themselves. But this chapter 7 of Luke specifies, Simon says within himself, not even talking about the money, not even talking about the money, he's talking about what this woman has done. Are you following? He's talking about what this woman has done. So now can, think about this for a minute, brothers and sisters. We live in a world where gossip and backbiting is a normal thing. We live in a world that if you're if you are ever out there caught in your mess, that judgment sits on you and it just stays there. But this woman is so enraptured by the love of Jesus. She's so enraptured by what God has done for her. She's oblivious to the noise of the others in the room. She's oblivious to the concerns of these people talking about her behind her back. She's oblivious to the reality of her her, her reputation, not thinking of these things. You know why? You know what her thoughts are on? Her, her thoughts are not on these people. Her thoughts are not on her sin. Her thoughts are upon who this man is that has changed her from the inside out. Her thoughts are on how Jesus has made her a new woman. Her thoughts are on how forgiveness has transformed her. That's where her thoughts are at. And Jesus protects the woman, not just from the guys that are talking noise, but specifically about this man, Simon. I wonder why. Now, my friends, I'm going to tell you who this woman is. I'm going to tell you who this woman is. And I'm going to tell you who Simon is. I'm going to tell you who this woman is, and I'm going to tell you who Simon is. But I want you to get this point before I even move to the next part. Jesus tells a story about two debtors. One owes so much, another owes more. Jesus says, the one that, oh, who's going who's gonna to love more? Who do you think is going to love more, Simon? The one that was forgiven little or the one that was forgiven much? Well, he said, well, the one that was forgiven much. Jesus said, you have judged right. Now watch what I'm going to tell you. Simon judged rightly. And Jesus turns to the woman, and now he's going to make a contrast between 
the one that is loving him more, the woman washing his feet with tears, he's going to make a a, 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 a discernment or 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 a identification. The one that's loving more, the woman that's washing my feet with her tears, she's loving more. Now, let me ask you a question. <laughs> the Bible, the Bible says all have sinned. And have come short of the glory of God. So there's not one person on planet earth that has not sinned. Not one. Do you know why Simon is able to sit there in judgment, if you will, on this woman? Because Simon did not recognize his need for a deeper and more pertinent forgiveness. And because he did not recognize how destitute he was, he was able to sit in a seat of judgment over the one he thought was not worthy to even be in the room. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, because if you understand what I'm saying, then your relationship with your husband and your relationship with your wife will change. You will not sit there in judgment in the reality of their brokenness and of their not doing everything you want them to do. You would recognize recognize just as you have been forgiven so you must extend that same love and forgiveness to them i hope you're getting it simon sits there in arrogancy because he does not recognize his need though he has been forgiven though jesus has graced him with his presence he does not recognize that he is in still great need therefore he's not weeping though he should be he should be the one that has the ointment pouring on Jesus' head. He should be the one that's on his knees crying out to God, uh, accepting the reality of the forgiveness that has been given to him. But he who loves little, it's simply because they have been forgiven little. <laughs> Do you recognize your need? This woman did. This woman did. Now, I'm going to read to you from a book called Desire of Ages, and then I'm going to hyperextend this point just a tad bit further. This woman, her name, believe it or not, is Mary. <laughs> this woman, believe it or not, her name is Mary. I'm going to read something to you, and then I'm going to show you a passage of Scripture, and hopefully, by God's grace, you'll get it. So this book, Desire of Ages, reads thus. Simon had led into sin the woman he now despised. She had been deeply wronged by him. By the two debtors of the parable, Simon and the woman were represented. Jesus did not design to teach that different degrees of obligation should be felt by the two persons. For each owed a depth of gratitude that never could be repaid. Are you following the idea? But Simon felt himself more righteous than Mary. And Jesus desired him to see how great his guilt really was. He would show him that his sin was greater than hers. As much greater as a depth of 500 pence exceeds a depth of 50 pence. He was 10 times worse. Are you following me, my friends? 10 times worse. You see, when we are ready to sit in the seat of judgment, it's because we've forgotten how much we need and have been forgiven. So listen, if my wife does something I don't like, 
Who am I? <laughs> Do you know where I came from? Do you know the mess that goes on up in this brain of mine? Huh? God has done so much for me, still does so much for me. He still cloaks me in his righteousness. Nah, man. The same mercy and the same love that God gives me, I hope to express in my mercy and my love for my wife. And I'm begging God, Lord, you are the source of that because I don't have it naturally. Listen, it's not in me. No. But see, the thing is, when you know God, then the revelation of yourself is expressed. And then you say, oh, oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? It's because we don't know God. When I say no, I'm not talking about an intellectual ascent to information. I'm talking about experientially. It's because we don't know him experientially that we sit in judgment. Condemnation. I don't say we shouldn't judge. You should know right from wrong, right? Absolutely. It's definitely wrong than a woman sleeping around and doing things she ain't supposed to do. That's a sin. The Mary was doing wrong. She was out there wrong. No question. But to sit there snugly and snidely. If he only knew who was touching him. Bruh, the dude had let her into that very lifestyle. But wait, it gets even worse, brothers and sisters. It gets worse for this man, Simon. Let me let me show you this. Let me show you this. Let me go back to my uh, screen. Share this with you. Watch this. Go with me to the book of John. John chapter 11. Watch this, brothers and sisters. John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we're going to begin reading at verse 55. And then we're going to read into John chapter 12. So John chapter 11, beginning at verse 55. And then we're going to go into John chapter 12. The Bible says, and the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand. And many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Hmm. Then sought they for Jesus and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple. What think ye that he will not come to the feast? Speaking about Jesus. Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he would show it that they might take him. Pay attention to the story. Don't miss this. Then Jesus, six days before Passover. How many days before Passover? Six. Came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Mm. This just got even deeper, brothers and sisters. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary. Then took who? Mary. A pound of spike, pound of ointment, a spike nard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house, come on now, nobody's listen to this. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, brothers and sisters, let me. First of all, what is this ointment a symbol of? This ointment is a symbol of the love that this woman has for Jesus. And the love of this, this fragrance fills the whole house, meaning that there was not one person in the room that was not a witness to the love that this woman was pouring upon Christ. Ooh. 
<laughs> Not one person was able to escape the smell, the sweet fragrance of the sacrifice that this woman gave for because of her love for Jesus. And let me tell you, I'll make the parallel right now. In the last days, a woman is a symbol of the church. And in the last days, the church is going to pour its love upon Jesus so much so that the world will be will not be able to escape the fragrance that emanates from the body of Christ. And when they pour that love of sacrifice on Christ, Jesus says, if you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it also unto me. So in other words, the church will be so sacrificial and so loving and so much into to giving to the world that the world will be like, man, what kind of love is this? The Bible tells us in John chapter 14, they will know that you're my disciples by your love that you have one towards another. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you that this story is the gospel. Why? First of all, this woman had no goodness in herself. Is that right? No good thing did she have in herself. No righteousness did Mary have in herself. And what happens? The goodness of God manifests itself to her, delivering her from her life of salacious living and delivering her from being possessed by demons, according to Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and John chapter, or Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through Mark chapter 16, verse 9. Here, God has delivered. He has brought her out of darkness into marvelous light. Do you think this woman is quiet? Do you think this woman is going to be all passive about what her love for her master? No. The same love she received, she's going to now give. And that's why I say, if you don't know love, then you won't know yourself. You won't know your need. You won't know how to share it in a relationship. If you take your eyes off the gospel, you're going to miss out. Your home will not be eternally happy. There's a song we learned that as children. We have Jesus in the family. Happy, happy home. You know that song? Happy, happy home. Happy, happy home with Jesus and the family. Happy, happy home. Happy, happy home. You guys know that song? Without him, without love, without him, there is no true knowledge of yourself. Mary knew this. You can clearly see Simon didn't understand this. He did not know love. I'm not saying he didn't know, know physically Jesus. He didn't experientially enter into that grace that God has given. Let's finish the story. So who's at this party? <laughs> oh, let, let's, let's not forget. At the party, a man who's been raised from the dead is sitting at the table. Of course, Jesus, who is God, is sitting at the table. Martha is at the table. Simon, who was a leper but is a Pharisee, is at the table. Mary, who was a woman in the streets, who was known in the streets, is at the table. But watch this unique point. I, I want you to get this. In the previous passages, it said that it was at Simon the leper's house. You guys re remember that? Simon the leper's house? Okay. Pay attention. Verse 2. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus is one of them that sat at the table. No, wait, wait. Martha is serving at Simon the leper's house. Anybody following? Like when, when I go to someone's house, 
I have a friend. Her name is Loriana. We go to her house, and she has she when I go go there, she has a nice spread. Every time we go there, it's just like awesome food, just laid out. Not once has she ever said, "Andre, come in the kitchen and help me serve the food." Not not one time. I'm I'm talking about these old school sisters who who you know they handle their business in the kitchen. You don't normally get people coming into somebody else's house serving that food. It's it's spoken of as if Martha is the primary server. So it tells me Martha somehow, some way is related to connected with Simon. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That makes it even worse. Simon is the one that led her into sin. Simon was a relative. That's what I see. And now in this story, you have someone that has been so hurt by men that she meets the ultimate man. And in that ultimate experience with that man, she is healed body, mind and soul. Mm, mm, mm. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spike, not very costly, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples. Oh, that's interesting. Judas Iscariot, Simon's son? Simon's son? What? Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put there in. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Hmm. Powerful. Again, Jesus protects the woman. Let's look at the details. They're in Bethany. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary at this house. Mary is the one that's crying and, and brings a pound of ointment and puts the oil over the ointment over his head and wipes his tears, wipes her tears, wipes his feet with her tears and her hair. She anoints Jesus' feet. The house is filled with the odor. Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. He's the one that says this should have been done for 300 pence. He's the one that's whispering in the ears of all the disciples and everybody's murmuring and complaining. Judas exemplifies the spirit of the devil himself, a gossiper, backbiter. Jesus protects the woman. And there's a desire to kill Jesus and Lazarus. And many Jews believe because of the miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Why do I read this to you? Why am I why am I going, going over the story? What does this have to do with relationships? It has everything to do with relationships. I realize over time that inevitably, inevitably, we hurt each other. I don't think people try to hurt people. I, I don't think it's the intent of people to hurt people all the time. Now, there are people that have intents, evil intents, but they're, I'm talking about relationships. Like in relationships, nobody starts out getting married and say, oh, I want to hurt you. Uh, I mean, some people do, but most of the time, no. What happens? 
because folks' eyes are not fixed on the most high, because everybody's not pressing towards Jesus, cuts, bruises, harm, pain, takes place. It happens. What do you do with that? Do you let it build up? Do you let it build anxiety and stress? Do you call, does it cause for separation? I remember Jesus in the gospels, he's talking and he's talking about marriage and divorce. And he says, he's speaking, he says, it's because of the hardness of your heart that I've allowed for divorce. The hardness of your heart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know why? Because we have forgotten how to forgive. And you know why we forgot how to forgive? Because we've forgotten where we came from. We forget what God has done for us. We forget. Somebody says, well, I'm not God. That's true. Praise God you're not. Praise God God is God. And you know what? The source of love is God himself. So if you need love, you go to him for the love. Don't try to get the love from your husband. Don't try to get the love from your spouse. That's not where the source of love is. You are a conduit by which God is to share that love through you to your family. They are not supposed to be where you're trying to get the love from. You don't have a baby so that you can have love. No, no, no. You don't get married so that you can have love. You get married to share love. And in recognition of what God has done, then, then, true love and happiness can be in the home. But not before that. You will constantly be arguing about who's taking out the trash. You'll be constantly arguing about the finances. You'll be constantly arguing about who's talking over who. Why are you talking over me? Blah, blah, blah. That's going to keep, that's going to keep coming. That's going to keep coming. You know why? Because at some point, the heart has not been humble before the most high, the God of the universe. What argument can we possibly have with God? None. So then what do I say? Father, it's me. It's me, oh Lord. You know that song? It's me. It's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Then it goes, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my husband, not my wife, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You know that song? It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer, it's me, is me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Brothers and sisters, I tell you, when we come to this realization, remember Isaiah 6? Isaiah is in the presence of God. And in Isaiah 5, though, he's like preaching. He's like, yo, woe unto these hypocrites, woe into this, woe into this, who and he's just, he's going off on Israel. He's like, he's snapping off and, and identifying all the sins of Israel, which he was supposed to do. But in Isaiah six, when he comes in the presence of the most high and the glory of the Lord fills the temple, just like that ointment filled the room. When he had that experience, you know what he had, what happened? Woe is me. For I am undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the presence 
of a people of unclean lips. Well, how did he come to that realization? For mine eyes have seen the king. What does he see? He sees the goodness of God. For I, my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. The angels themselves cover their face. Have you seen God? I challenge you, see God. Open your Bible. Go out in nature. Commune with the Most High. See what God is trying to say to you and come to a place of humility before him, acknowledging the reality of your brokenness. And God will do for you what you cannot do for yourself to the point where love will gush forth from you, which you didn't have of yourself. I remember talking to one sister many years ago. We're coming out of church. I'll never forget it. <laughs> we're coming out of church and she asked me a question. And I've told this story many times, and I love telling it because it's it's powerful. She says, Andre, do you think God wants me to stay in a loveless relationship? Do you think God wants me to stay in a loveless relationship? Now, I knew what the question meant. You know, like, if I said no, then she was going to be like, all right, I'm going to leave. If I said yes, that sounds preposterous, right? I said, no, God doesn't want you to stay in a loveless relationship. And she looked like shocked that I actually said no. But I said to her, I said, the problem is you're looking for love in the wrong place. You're a source of love. It's God. Therefore, you can love the unlovable. That's the gospel. Folks getting married, what you getting married for? Marriage is a symbol of the gospel. Can two walk together unless they agree? Okay. You get married, what happens? You grow. And as you grow, some people grow this way, some people grow this way. And it looks like, so what happened? The gospel must be executed in the relationship. And when you think that you're perfect, when I think that I'm perfect, and then I approach the relationship. There's no question. This thing's going down. And what if both of you, both of you say, well, I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. So we shouldn't be together because we're both not perfect. Well, that's horrible, too. You know what is good? God is good. And the Bible says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So two imperfect people. God knew that when you got married. You knew you were imperfect then. He's going to take you. And he's going to do a new thing. And he, by his supernatural work, can do for us the work of a mystery. It's a mystery. You don't believe me? Open your Bibles. Go to Ephesians real quickly. Ephesians. Ephesians. I hope you're getting the point. I hope you're applying the, I hope you're going to apply this principle. Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Watch what the Bible says, my friends, because we miss it sometimes. Watch this. Chapter 5, I'm going to read verse, starting at verse number 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Okay, we already know Christ is willing to sacrifice and give everything for the woman. So submission comes because of the, the demonstration of this goodness and love of God. That's what you see in this interaction between Jesus and Mary. She's willing to give everything because the husband has, or Jesus has demonstrated this great love, right? 
So the husband, we got we got a high standard to live up to. And to be honest, we haven't lived up to it. Even those of us who say we're, you know, present truth or Seventh-day Adventists or Baptist, Pentecostal, godly men, we have not taken this to the level that it should be representing Christ in the home. We haven't. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Wait, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And what did he do? He gave himself for it. That's the demonstration of the goodness of God. God gave himself for the church when the church was not right. When the church wasn't holy. When the church didn't apologize. Some dudes don't want to. <laughs> I remember early. This happened earlier. And sometimes every once in a while it creeps into my spirit sometimes when my wife and I don't agree on something. And I know that I'm right. Like I know, like 100, I am right. And I know she's supposed to apologize to me. I mean, I, you know, I'm always trying to solve the problem in my mind now. I'm just talking about in my mind. I'm always the one trying to make things right, you know. She needs to apologize to me this time. Come on now. As Christ gave himself for the church. Church didn't apologize. Church didn't ask for forgiveness. He sacrificed himself regardless. That's love, brothers and sisters. Does he call the church to repentance? Sure he does. But it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Let's, let's finish the passage. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the, by the what? By the word. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own what? As their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Interesting. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Hmm. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. Sounds like a covenant relationship. Mm, mm, mm. For this cause, what cause? Shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh? This is a great mystery. Didn't I just tell you it was a mystery? Two becoming one is a mystery. Two, one plus one is normally two, but they're saying two equals one. That's some new mathematics, but it's a mystery. It's the same word used to talk about the gospel. The two becoming one, this is a mystery. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Stop. Wait a minute. I need you to think. If marriage is not just about having sex and having babies, if marriage is not just about we making money together, that it's something more, that it symbolizes 
the power of the gospel, where two become one, where God makes himself one with us, man, my mind is blown. See, if you know God, then you know love. And if you know love, then the reality of yourself becomes to, to fruition. And if you know who you are in Christ, then you can share that love with someone else. But you can't do that if you don't know and truly understand who God and what love is and his intent in it all. So I'm praying from, for me that I can reflect this love to my wife. Please pray for me. And I pray for you. And this love is not limited to us and wife. This love can be expressed to brothers and sisters. It can be where we truly give of ourselves. Well, why would we do that? Because we're giving all of ourselves because our source is an infinite source. So every time we give all of ourselves, he replenishes that because he's the source. He's the source. He's the source. By God's grace, brothers and sisters, I hope you understood the word this evening. There's always more. But I believe by God's grace, if we just implement these simple truths, the gospel is the wonderful simplifier of life's problems. Have you experienced the love of God? Have you submitted to that love so that it's so overflowing? That your, your gratitude and your joy and your grace will be poured out on Jesus. But you say, where is Jesus? Well, Jesus is in his saints. It's in his children. If you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me, he says. If you love Jesus, it will find itself in service for others. It will find itself giving for others. This is not a normal love. This is a supernatural love. Bow your heads with me as we pray and ask God to do something special. To make that love flow through us to others. Bow our heads. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity that we've had to study our Bibles. Thank you for the clear example of the gospel demonstrated in the person of Jesus as he's interacting with Mary. And Lord, you are amazing. And Lord, in these last hours of earth's history, you're going to have a people that love you more than, than life itself. And they will never, ever, ever trust to their own selves. And they will never, ever, ever trust to their own intellect. But they will ever, ever depend upon you and your love and your grace and your power to work through in and through them. And Lord, I know that this is not natural. I know it's not natural for me. I know it's not natural for many, for anybody. But, Father, you are willing to do abundantly above whatever we ask or think. You, Father, so teach us how to behold you, for I know that by beholding we become changed. Teach us how to see you. Teach us how to submit to you so that we can share this love that we've experienced with you, with others. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. My friends, thank you so much for joining us on this broadcast. I encourage you to spend that quality time with Jesus. 
I thank you for um, just joining me. Tomorrow night, we're going to be studying. I think tomorrow's Wednesday. will be one, our, our last time until sat, till Saturday. And uh, just, again, thank you. And if you find this to be a blessing and you're listening to this via Zoom, pass it on with a friend. You're watching this on Facebook. Pass it on to a friend. If you're listening to this on the podcast, pass it on to a friend. Uh, we need to come together and just keep studying and encourage each other, especially in these last hours of our history. God bless you. You have a wonderful evening. And Maranatha. <laughs>